Welcome to Circle Sanctuary Network Podcast, brought to you by Circle Sanctuary, one of the oldest nature spirituality churches in the United States, connecting people of nature-centered paths around the world. Join us through the week for a variety of shows discussing various topics, celebrating the divine in all of its forms, through nature worship, rituals, education, and building bridges of community. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Blue Marble Podcast. I'm your host, Rev Charbert. Thanks for tuning in. Here, we share personal stories about putting our green faith into action for our planet and lively discussions about climate justice issues and things we can do to help. Our purpose is to educate and to motivate. And this time, our featured guest is Dan Lenahan, an award-winning climate communicator, scientist, author, producer, and educator. His webpage is www.dslinehan.com. That's www.dslinehan.com. And this episode, we're going to be discussing Dan's story and also strategic climate communication. That includes hopefully helping all of us to be more savvy about spotting greenwashing and gaslighting, right? Versus the truth, which is an increasing challenge these days. And Dan is the person I think about when I think about this topic. And he's someone who understands strategic communication. Why? Well, after earning his BS in physics and an MS master's in materials engineering and working as a scientific researcher, Dan became a microchip process engineer. But in 2000, he switched his career to writing in order to focus on education, outreach and communication by mixing the arts and science with creativity and multimedia. And Dan has won awards for his nonfiction, screenwriting, and poetry, and he authored multiple books and has delivered some very creative and effective productions, which we will hear about here, with links to learn more. I personally appreciate Dan as a very bright, talented, and passionate person who has dedicated his life's work so far to shaping responsible conversations about difficult issues like climate change. So it's a real treat to have Dan here today. Welcome, Dan. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you very much for having me, Charlotte. It's a pleasure. So let's kick it off. Um, you're a person of many talents. Your career so far has produced many exciting projects, which we're going to hear about. What would you say is the heart and soul of your vocation? Um, well, gosh, you, you kind of mentioned some of that stuff up in, in that, that like really flattering introduction you had of me. I, I'm wondering who that person is. You're um, welcome. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I would say again, you know, I've um, I've gone through a transformation. There's no doubt about it. And probably many. And I think that is fortunate for people to allow themselves to undergo these types of transformations. So I would mm. say that, you know, where I am right now, you know, as a writer, you know, as an educator, as someone who's really um, passionate about outreach, um, climate and environmental issues are really part of just who I am now. And mm. trying to inspire positive action and change are really the kind of the goals for, for what I do. And kind of that vocation is just kind of like a lifestyle for me, I would say. Mm -hmm. mm. Uh, so it's a way of being. Yeah. yeah. And but let's let's take it back to the beginning for people who don't know you, maybe the way I do. I mean, you were born in Miami. 
and you grew up on Long Island, New York, to, uh, you know, way on the East Coast, and you started out in science and engineering, not writing. How did you undergo this transformation from your engineering experience into writing? Well, I am. I've circled the uh, the sun many, many times. So uh, uh, I've been around for a while. And um, when I grew up, you know, gosh, you know, way back in you know the seventies, you know, as a youngster, um, I grew up in nature, and it was all mm-hmm. around me, and mm-hmm. it was normal. And when you grow up in an area, you don't know anything around you. You don't know what it was beforehand. You only know what it is now. And that's your baseline. And so mm-hmm. for me, nature was always what it was, you know, fishing and ponds and frogs and things like that. Never had a thought to protect it as a kid because it just wasn't in the conversation back then. Education back then was not covering that. And um, because it just wasn't really on on the forefront for for general education. Now, some people have been, you know, potentially have been, you know, doing this for a while, has kids and, you know, depending on where you are in the country. But in general, you know, I was clueless. Right. But I was good in math. I was good in science. So what do so what does someone who's good in science and math do when they're growing up? They're told, hey, engineer, you're a scientist. And that's kind of what mm-hmm. I did. Um, and uh, still pretty pretty um oblivious to the world around me in terms of you know it wasn't just all fishing and it wasn't all just you know camping and canoeing and kayaking you know there were costs that I was not seeing and there was a degradation that that I was not seeing because I just wasn't around enough to see the differences between what it was what it is and what it will be um if we keep moving the way the way it is and so I think like after I kind of got my, you know, degrees and started to, to work in industry, um, I started to uh, obviously I had the education, physics and chemistry and science and technology and all those stuff. And but when you start to apply it, you know, at a job, there becomes other factors that really dominate, such as cost and profit. And, you know, that's where you get things like greed coming in and you see well, maybe things are being are happening around the workplace and the world that are for the wrong purpose. And so mm-hmm. when I started to recognize that and mm-hmm. see it for myself and be like, hey, wow, this is harming the things I care about. And I'm part of the problem. I'm not part of the solution. It was time for me to kind of make a change. And, and that's kind of where that transformation, major kind of catalyst for that transformation occurred. And uh, I switched to become a writer and use all that background in education to help communicate some of these really complicated things in a way that better connects with with people. I love what you're talking about, how when you grow up, it's like nature is a, a form of recreation in one way or another, and not really opening up our consciousness or our awareness to what you said, what is, what was, what is, and what it will be. Um, the founder of Circle Sanctuary, uh, Reverend Selena Fox, is one of the founders of Earth Day, and she's dedicated her so much of her life to helping people connect those dots. I'm really, I'm really intrigued though because a dot that that I connect with you is I, I'm such a massive super fan of the X Files. Mm-hmm. I love the X Files. I've watched every episode probably I don't know a gazillion times. I just love that thing, and that was a major inspiration for you. So, what about the X Files? inspired you wow when you talk about you know here we are discussing spirituality and we're jumping to the x-files which <laughs> you know i want to believe right Ooh, um, so yes I, yeah I like you know typically what you have is an engineer and you're like hmm 
what kind of writing skills does this engineer have? And I would say generally terrible. And so I think what <laughs> happens is that I also had to undergo a transformation in terms of skill set. Um, and then I just need to be, be started to become interested in writing because growing up, English classes were my enemy. You know, I did not really like writing. I didn't like reading any of that stuff like that. But it wasn't until something kind of touched a nerve, um, which was something like the X-Files. And it was something like writing my graduate thesis on, believe it or not, superconductors, you know, and using lasers to make them and all this crazy high tech. And I kind of enjoyed that process. And then so the X-Files was this sci-fi thing and allowed me to kind of exercise that creative element in my brain that, you know, I wasn't exercising very much, you know, um, and so that was where that 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 creative creativity and the arts come in. And it can, and, you know, my degrees are degrees in, of arts and science. When you get a degree in physics, it's not you don't just get a degree in science. It's arts and science, you know. And you know that's an important thing that sometimes we forget. And you know we're, we're we 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 are missing the arts more and more. And that's part of our humanity. Um, you know whether it's music, you know painting, you know all kinds of arts. Um, and so I think. The X-Files really inspired me to do my first major writing project when I was an engineer. And I wrote a script for the X-Files, which was submitted. And, you know, I got a return from the lawyer saying we absolutely did not look at this script. Um, <laughs> this is probably good because it was quite horrible, I'm, you know, when I reflect on, on my early writing. Um, but you have to start somewhere. And the X-Files was, was a start for me. I love that. And of course, communication has kind of been my life's work. And there's an art and a science to communication. We're talking about that today. So yeah. Um, and the X-Files is just a really, uh, again, it's not rhetorical communication. It's not dialectic, keeping the conversation going. It was really evoking a lot of feeling through that poetic medium. But I love it. I love the fact you submitted a script. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, now, on your personal website, which I'm gonna I'm gonna share with folks again. You're gonna hear it a lot because I really, really encourage the listeners of this podcast to go there and check out uh, Dan's story and work. Um, again, it's www.dslinehan.com. It looks like dslinehan, dslinehan.com. Um, your personal website shares really great information about your background and many productions. And um, I'm just wondering from all of that, what from your experience and portfolio would you like to share with our listening audience here? You know, I, I think it probably goes back to what made me be, what made me really tune into the environment and especially I would say climate. And I mm -hmm. think fundamentally for me, um, when the uh, the Larson B uh, ice shelf broke up in the early 2000s and the 2002, um, it was this enormous piece of ice that disintegrated in approximately in approximately about 30 days or so, and it was many times the size of Monterey Bay, uh, and it just disappeared in, in no time. And um, again, going back to my science background, I'm like, wait a minute, this does not sound particularly right. And of course, we always hear ice caps melt, glaciers melt and retreat back and forth. And, uh, you know, that, of course, that's true. Um, but sometimes the rate at such at when these things happen and the severity and all the other factors that you tie in, you have to consider. And when I started to consider all these factors, um, I'm like, you know, there's just this is not right. And that really propelled me into then 
um, focusing my work on, on climate. And so I, around that time, uh, I felt that um, still climate change is a little bit far off. I mean, people, some people were talking about it. Not a lot of people were talking about it. And um, I felt that the things happening in Antarctica were happening um, faster, right? We were seeing the, the effects of climate change happening much faster than the rest of the world. And they were happening more dramatically. And so around that time and, um, and being influenced by the, uh, another great influence of mine is Cosmos from Carl Sagan, that series. Mm. It mm -hmm. were again, a, a amazing mix of art, spirituality and science in a really humanistic way. And I was really inspired by that series and inspired really my work. So I, I would say mm -hmm. if there's a real foundation to my work, it's probably that was the Carl, Sag, Carl Sagan's Cosmos that really influenced my work the most. Mm. And um, so mm. I, uh, I went, I had to figure out a way to get to Antarctica to study climate change. And I spent a few years saving and figuring out how to do it. And, and I did it. And then uh, it ended up being probably much more than I ever expected and shaped my my life, you know, ever since. Mm -hmm. Well, and that leads me to one of your banner projects, clearly, uh, in particular, that I really want to highlight. It's Princess at the Bottom of the World. Mm -hmm. um, and that's an incredible labor of love. It represents so much effort and ingenuity. I can tell it's a, it was a defining project of yours. Um, and it's had a lot of impact on your work. So again, folks, you can access this princess at the bottom of the world through www.dslenahan.com, D-S-L-I-N-E-H-A-N.com. So tell us about princess at the bottom of the world and why that's so important to you. Well, you know, again, going back to my background, it made sense at the time that I was going to write nonfiction about it. And this is going to this is going to echo really start getting into the themes of now of strategic communication. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm like, OK, I'm going to write. I'm going to go to Antarctica. Um, I got a great a great expedition set up and I'm going to go there and write about climate change. And um, yeah, I'm going to spread the word. Um, and this was in 2000, early 2006 that I finally got everything set up. Another monumental thing that came out at that time was an inconvenient truth. So. That ha that came out a little bit after I already set up my trip to uh, Antarctica, and I got to see that, and I even got to see that when I was on the ship, you know, going to Antarctica. You know, um, we we watched a, a tape of that as well, mm. and um, it, it occurred to me that Al Gore did such an amazing job of communicating climate science with his presentation and the art of documentaries um, in in a way that you know was a little bit a bit different. And it got got me thinking again. And so when I finally got to Antarctica and so many crazy things happened, you know, like I was I experienced, you know, I was I had gone to this volcanic caldera in Antarctica called Deception Island. And inside is the base and it erupts all the time and bases keep getting knocked over. But it's a protective harbor. And a week after I, I went there, a cruise ship ran aground, spilled fuel oil, mm. lied about it in this pristine habitat. And it just was a perfect echo of what's normally happening. And then mm -hmm. other things happened. I went hiking up a mountain in Antarctica and it was so darn hot. The guide I was with, the expedition leader wasn't even wearing a shirt because it was that hot. 
you know, and I wore a shirt only because I was afraid if I slipped and slipped, fell down the glacier, you know, it would be very uncomfortable, but it was really hot. We'd see penguin chicks panting because they can't, they're not, they've got all this down feathers because their the evolution has, has given these guys this great coat to protect themselves from the coldness of Antarctica, but it's so hot. They can't even cool themselves off because they'll drown. They can't go into the water yet because their coats aren't waterproof. They're down. They drowned. So you have all the penguin chicks sitting there with their tongues dangling. In no. this heat. And I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. Ice, the ice crumbling everywhere. It was just astounding. And so uh, also on the trip, life happens. You know, um, again, it was a spiritual thing for me. Um, I ended up, you know, meeting somebody. Uh, and I was like, you know what, if I write a nonfiction book about some of this stuff, most likely it's just going to be the, a very few people in the audience who already believe in climate change who will read it. I'm probably not going to get the doubters to say, oh, wow, look at this, a climate book. I'm going to go read this to change my mind. I'm going to stop fossil fuels. Yeah. Right. And that just doesn't <laughs> happen. This is, this is part of the strategy for communications that I'm facing. It's like, you know, we have to somehow bring people into into the church, right? We don't mm -hmm. need to preach to the choir anymore because the people in the choir get it. We need mm -hmm. to put butts in the pews, man. More <laughs> new, more more new faces, right? And mm -hmm. so that that's really where where I try to do this. I so I try to take with a novel version of it. I give a little bit of the sugar for the medicine. So you, I'm not going to mm -hmm. call it a climate novel, but it's a novel that has a climate background, like say Steinbeck's. Grapes mm -hmm. of Wrath, right? Mm -hmm. When the Dust Bowl was happening, it just devastated, you know, big parts of the Midwest. And people were, were climate refugees who came to California. They were climate refugees. True. Then overfishing in, in Cannery Row, right? So you don't think of Cannery Row as, as an overfishing book. You don't think, necessarily think of Grapes of Wrath as a climate book. But, but Steinbeck did. Steinbeck put that stuff in there for a reason. And so I kind of was using that maybe of a Steinbeck, Steinbeck approach for this novel. And then because I have this big multimedia background, I was able to, to make, put it online and link to, for example, if you want to see what an emperor penguin looks like, you want to see what a Gen 2 penguin looks like, do you want to see the exact places I was talking about? Well, you can see that by clicking on and it automatically take you to this multimedia travel companion that won a bunch of awards for science communication. And that's that that thing is free to free to explore. And the book itself is dirt cheap because you know I want people to read it and you can even get it for free if you'd like to. So you don't even have to pay for it. So you know on my website, you know, there are there are there are places where you can get it for free and you know uh, or nominal. Um, but that's the book. And um, you know, it, it uh it's um been a long time in the process and a long time in, in the in the works yeah um such a such a confluence of strategies right there yes so again www.dslenahan.com d-s-l-i-n-e-h-a-n.com check it out is um is that project something that's good for all ages dan so I would say that it's probably not an all ages book. Not. It's an adult book. And the, it's and, an adult and book. Okay. And there's there's a reason why. And I, I'm in, I'm deeply involved in education. Uh, you know, so when you're on that website, you're going to see a tremendous amount of education project projects. But mm -hmm. this goes back to a strategy. I fully believe the kids nowadays, the students, 
they're getting mm -hmm. the right education and they're they're you know for the most part we're in good shape there but they're not ready to vote yet and time is ticking and mm -hmm. we need to change the minds of the voters right now and so mm -hmm. i think what what i really made a conscious a conscious decision um to to make a strategic mm -hmm. communications product that would reach across the aisle to hopefully attract those people who would normally be deniers and say just get them to think about it. Think outside the box a little. Their little, their little zones for a little bit, and connect with them in ways that you know. Hey, I grew up fishing. You know, you know, mm -hmm. I grew up. You know, I went to school in the Midwest. You know, mm -hmm. all these experiences are part of me. Um, and you connect with that, and hopefully, you get some of these adults make make some impacts um, and join join the church. <laughs> Yeah, well, you, um, you, yeah, or grove, or temple, or circle, or right, right, whatever. Right. But yeah, exactly. I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It's like, and and so we're talking about about a decade, and I'm thinking a very critical, like ten years within voting age. So I mean, as well as everyone older, really trying to capture that. And so we sort of segue now into what we mean when we're talking about strategic climate communication, especially when you're not a scientist or a climate expert, like I'm not, but I've been learning to be a climate communicator. And, and just as an example, you know, I find story really works. You allude to that with your princess at the bottom of the world telling a story, but I'll often begin by sort of anchoring stories based on the shared climate impacts people are having. What is their personal experience of some impact they're experiencing? That that's just a strategy I use um, as an opener. But 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 talk to us a little bit about what we mean when we say strategic climate communication. So I mentioned a couple of this, these things already in some of the, in some of the things I've discussed, but let me be a little bit more specific on this. Yeah. So, thanks. Um, I do a lot of climate presentations mm -hmm. and um, I could be giving a lot of these climate presentations in a place like California. And I could spend a lot of time doing that. And, but if I look at the big picture, I could see that, wow, you know, more than likely politics in California and the way the, sh the state is shaped, it's going to probably be one of those on the leading edge of climate change um, solutions and action, right? Um, but if I were to do these same talks in, say, an area that would be considered what you're like, a, you know, quote unquote, red state, where there's a lot of doubt, whether there's a lot of interests and influences that are creating the doubt, if I did those same talks, I would have a better chance of changing some minds, which might do a better job of changing changing how um, the representation of that state is made, right? Mm -hmm. And so that is kind of a way I think of it. So again, it goes back to the preaching to the choir. If you really care about climate change and you want to make a difference, don't sit at the same cafe and just you know keep having that same conversation with the same old people who nod their head and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you doing to expand expand it? You know, what is what is what are you doing to help 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 bring people out of their holes and you know kind of expose them to something? And you can connect with them in so many different positive ways. You know, there's you know through your faith, through your spirituality, through your work, through shared interests. And these this would be the strategy to communicate with somebody is like 
Well, what are the commonalities that we have? And we build off of that, right? So that would be some one strategy is like, I want to connect with people, but I don't know how. Well, you know, there's a Rotary Club and there's a lot of business people. And maybe you connect through that business group and that group is trying, and Rotary is supposed to be doing good things throughout the planet. Um, and, you know, hey, well, how about, how about kind of focusing a little bit more on climate, you know? And so there are a lot of ways to, to kind of think about like, how can I make an impact? And so another thing, you know, I'll, another thing is just resources wise. And I think some climate organizations tend not to do this as well as they could um, by, by folk, by letting people, you know, by taking a round peg and putting them in the round hole instead of taking a round peg and trying to squish them into a square hole. So if you have a science communicator, help let them run with their specialty. So if you're an artist, take your art and use that as your specialty to help connect with people, right? That's a great way of doing things. You know, mm -hmm. try not to, you know, use your strengths, use your interests, use the, use the things that guide you as, as a, again, the way to, to make the bigger impact. And so I think that is a strategy. That is what I consider strategic communications in, in, in a way. I like that because I'm, I'm applying what you're saying to, to myself just as an example. And I'm thinking former broadcaster, I turned to podcasting because it's something that I can do. I can do that. It's just one voice. It's one thing added, you know, or as a healer. Okay. Uh, rituals, ceremonies, modalities, talking about public health. I can do that. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, so, so taking what we have and using the skills we have and finding the climate component of that and helping people connect the dots. That's strategic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Great. Well, uh, you, you kind of, you mentioned that there's, um, you didn't say it exactly, but alluding to the fact there's a lot of disinformation out there and it does really, really affect people's worldview and how they even think about this issue, especially here in the United States, where unfortunately uh, the climate crisis has become so uh, politicized and polarized, which is a crime in itself, as far as I'm concerned. This is an existential issue affecting all of us. But there's a lot of greenwashing. There's a lot of gaslighting going on out there. It was talked about a lot in the last month. At the time of this um, recording, we're in uh, February of 2024, right after COP28. There's a lot of discussion about greenwashing and gaslighting. Can you help us understand what is that sure. exactly? So there are two different things. Um, greenwashing is really is it is really kind of deceptive advertising is the best way of saying it. It's where a company will um, say do a commercial and I'm gonna you know let's say a fossil fuel company does a commercial and they've got a classroom of kids and they're well dressed, they're well fed, they're really happy, they're looking at the some cool technology and then this fossil fuel company says we're investing in kids futures and we're looking forward to investing in in renewable energy and logo green of, gas right logo <laughs> of the fossil fuel company or that yeah they don't even mention green gas but they give this impression that these this fossil fuel company is is doing all this great stuff and um that's not really the case so it's it's basically deceptive ad. It's like a PR, like you know, PR that they're trying to do. Um, you know, when the reality is there are hundreds and probably thousands of schools that are on the edge of these 
of contaminated, you know, land where there's fossil fuel production going on that's that's polluting, um, and schools that don't have the you know the, the funds to actually upgrade to you know to to meet the the new demands of extreme temperatures, you know. So we're not seeing those schools, but we are seeing a lot of happy kids who who you know the fossil fuel industry obviously care about. You know, it's like having a hundred dollars and and a company saying, you know what, guess what, we we're giving everybody a dollar out of that, that you know. So you take a hundred dollars, and you're going to get a dollar of that. Isn't that great? We're giving a dollar, but the reality is, it's cost cost you ninety nine dollars that you don't really see like creep out of your pocket. And so they make a big deal of that dollar, but it costs you ninety nine dollars, right? And so that's kind of a great analogy too for for climate change, is because you know, the, yeah, oh yeah, you know, hey fossil fuel, blah, blah, blah. It, it creates, it's helping our economy, but it costs us so much that we, it's hard to see coming out of our pockets, but it does, right? And so that's a, probably a good couple examples of greenwashing. That's actually a really, really old strategy. It's been around for as long as fossil fuel companies have been coming into communities and selling their projects. That's not a new thing, but it's definitely sophisticated. Right. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. You know, and it goes with a lot of the the polluting, any any of the type of that polluting types of things where, you know, oh yeah, yeah, it's really easy to focus on a little tiny thing and say, look how great we are when, you know, the other hand is really what you need to be watching out for. You know, it's a, it's a typical con job, right? Mm, um, and yeah. unfortunately we live in a time where con con jobs are happening a lot, right? Yeah. It seems to be sanctioned these days. Yeah. Right. And so and so gaslighting is I would say that gaslighting is kind of it's like emotional and psychological brainwashing. And what it is, is really it's it's like. An abuser is manipulating like a victim to kind of let self-doubt and confusion kind of creep in. And instead of the problem, they're basically making the problem about you. Right. So it's kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, there's a big climate problem. Oh, no, there's not. It's your perception that's the problem. You know, you're not thinking of it the right way. That's the problem. There's really no problem happening. And this typically is done by repeating um, and over a period of time. So it's kind of like if I keep saying something that's not true, maybe people keep believing it and um think it's true so mm -hmm. well we and we've we've seen on a national level people who keep perpetuating lies you know they start to be integrated they start to be believed mm -hmm. and also i mean you know so it's i'm I, i'm also thinking about how fossil fuel companies have deliberately manipulated research, um, trying to uh, debunk legitimate research and put up other research, which is not legitimate or not um, framed in the same way. And that's a form of gas, not just greenwashing, there's a gaslighting component to that, is we're gonna undermine your sense of truth and who you trust as an authority. Yeah, I, I think that's probably one of the best examples of gaslighting with the climate is, is is it's insane how many scientists from all across everywhere are are on board with climate and to find people who are against it it's like they're generally being paid by the industry or they have no business discussing meteorology because they're not meteorologists right 
And so it's um, it's absolutely insane, you know. Um, and so by by focusing by having an industry perpetuating doubt, which is really what they're doing, they keep pointing to that little bit of doubt, saying, "Oh well, you know, the science isn't settled because a couple of people said it wasn't, and it's not true. Science is settled. Science has been settled forever." Right for a really, really long time. In fact, it, the science has been settled to for forever because it's the laws of physics that govern climate change. Right, so you can't change the laws of physics. Right, so the science is there; it's always been there. Just people saying, you know, it doesn't exist, putting the doubt in, and that is a really great example, um, Charlotte, like you said, about gaslighting and one of the many that's happening in climate. Well, and I'm thinking people don't even have to cite research. It's like we're 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 kind of like research illiterate often, you know, and in uh, some of its time or whatever. But it's like in the in the age of news bites and um, very limited attention span and apps and TikTok and that kind of thing. It's like someone can just say, "Well, you know," some people say, and bang, already. It's right, it's like right. just throwing an opinion out there. It undercuts research. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Or, you know, they say, well, you know, research over here and research is not defined, right? So, you, you know, who's re- who's the researcher? Whose research is it? So someone can easily sit there and say, oh, well, this research I, I read and anybody could put something on social media. And then all you need to do is have someone call it research. And then you said, well, guess what? Researchers said this. This is why it's so important to, you know, to be careful of your sources and um, and yeah, it's it's a it's a difficult time we have, but uh, there are yeah. there are, there are patterns out there that we're starting to see that when you start, you know, you, like our BS detectors are getting a little bit better now, mm. yeah, but they need to be much better because you know we still have a challenging time. I I really encourage, and I know we have it up on the Circle Sanctuary website. I know Climate Reality has it, Citizens Climate Lobby, a whole lot, 350.org, Greta Thunberg, whoever you have as a trusted climate resource, danlenahan.com. It's like, um, you know, having having a, a select set of sources that you can turn to that are legitimate, where you you just avoid a lot of the noise on social media and keep up with, with those. And I mean, we can, we can recommend to people who some of those are, and I'm sure you do too, uh, Dan, Mm -hmm. because as, as we're talking and we're, we're talking about, you know, how, what sort of defines greenwashing and gaslighting it's rampant, um, in many ways, we're, the climate crisis is a communication crisis. It's a moral and spiritual crisis. It's an environmental, political, existential crisis. But it's the communication crisis, too. There's an active war on truth mm-hmm. going on. And the big polluters have a lot of money. They have a lot of skill for their disinformation efforts. So as we're thinking here together, what can we do about it? Is there anything we can do about it? Well, Charlotte, I can't agree with you more um, about this. And this is, I say this all the time, the climate crisis is not a a science crisis. It is a communication crisis. The science is set, it's simple, it's physics. Nothing changes the laws of physics, right? In fact, all the research we're doing only gets us an understanding of of like the minutia at this point in time. There's no other science that we need that's gonna say, oh, you know what, climate change is not happening. No, that's 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 done. We passed that, right? 
So all this great research we're doing, it's kind of like we're trying to pinpoint, well, this atmospheric atmospheric rivers that are coming, how more frequent are they going to be? How much more rain will they be? Can we get more exact predictions of this by improving the science? That's where we are. You know, we're at, man, what's going to happen, you know, to the Midwest in, in two years? How is the temperature going to affect the growing season? How is that temperature going to affect the crop yield? right? This is where the science is. The science is no longer sitting, is it going to happen or isn't it not going to happen? Is carbon dioxide creating the problem or isn't it, right? Is the greenhouse ha uh, greenhouse effect happening or not? No one's looking at that anymore because that's settled. That's done, right? So we just need to remember that. And it's a communication problem of people trying to obscure those simple facts that is 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 really at the root of of of, of us facing this this crisis. Yeah, uh, and I I'm I'm also thinking um, there's a there's there's a side of the story in communication that we're not hearing enough about. We we understand. I mean, you and I understand. I think some of our listeners really understand. I hope more people understand. There's an urgency about the, a window in which we have an opportunity really to do things proactively to help mitigate the, the worst of the climate crisis to maybe prevent or reverse. I mean, there's hope. So, But it's the hope narrative. It's the hope part of the communication as well that we don't get to hear enough about mm -hmm. um, actual solutions that are working, that are making a difference, um, communities that are feeling empowered, not just to be resilient, but to push back effectively. Um, scientific technologies that are being developed, that uh, are being implemented, and we're seeing really promising outcome from that. Uh, it's like we also need to be really highlighting a lot of those stories. And I don't, I don't see enough strategic communication happening around that outside of maybe Al Gore or maybe Catherine Hayhoe or maybe your your book. You know, I mean, where do we get that stuff? Uh, that's that's a good question, you know, and again, that goes back to the strategic the communication, um, you know, the demand for it, um, the passing stuff around. Uh, so obviously being if I wanted to <laughs> if I wanted to make money, I wouldn't be turned to a writer. And if mm -hmm. I actually if I wanted stability and and any kind of security, I certainly wouldn't be writing about climate. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so. Mm -hmm. What's happening is is we need to somehow get better at at getting these good stories out and mm -hmm. and creating and and pushing them around and and here's a good example is what this podcast is doing you know and if some of you are sitting home and like man I really wish I could do something a little bit more you know you can you could pass around the podcast you know you could you can pass around you know the book. You know, my book, like I said, you can get it for free, you can gift it for free, you know, there are ways mm -hmm. to do that, you know, so, you know, by spreading the word, you know, um, and um, helping, you know, be, I, I think of it this way, be part of the solution, and not the problem. And mm -hmm. when, when you when you kind of put those in, into mind, you know, or the fact that, like, let's say you believe that there is a climate crisis going on, but you're not active about it. You know, mm -hmm. how different are you than the people who don't believe it and don't do anything? In both cases, there's there's nothing, there's not movement forward, right? And so I think everybody needs to kind of do, do a little bit, you know, and if they personally can't afford it, if they can't, you know, can't 
physically do it, support people who can, you know, support organizations and, and, and individuals and, and those who are fighting the fight. And so, um, I, you know, again, that would be, you know, again, strategy, you know, how do we, you know, I always imagine if we could get everybody moving in the same direction who cares about the, something about the environment and the, and, and the climate and the world we live in right now, mm -hmm. we're all kind of zigging and zagging and moving in different directions. We all care, but imagine if we were able to just unify and just move in the same direction, how we can influence our leaders, our politicians, and just march over all those obstacles in the way, because we have a lot of people in this country who care. It just sometimes seems we're not very aligned very well, but if we were aligned, you know, things happen and those alignments happened in time, right? We've had, you know, you know, horrible civil rights issues when finally we got enough people aligned to do, do something change happened, you know, and history does show those key moments where, you know, people aligned and we came together and we solved a really horrible problem. And so I think that's, again, one of the things that we as a, a community of people who care about ourselves, our planet, our, the other people who live with, who live on the planet, social justice, um, if we just could align a little better and all use that momentum, boy, nothing could stop us. And I really appreciate when you're when you're talking about that dilemma because we're still thinking about a, a communication crisis here. It's like you mentioned everybody just just start doing the few things that you can do and spread the word. I, I, I mean, encourage others. Talk about why you're eating less meat. Talk about why maybe you're electrifying your home. Talk about why you're figuring out how to get an electric car. Talk about why, you know, because you're you're coming from a place of love and encouragement getting people aligned sort of in emotion talking about why you're supporting this bill or talking about why you're supporting this organization or reading this book or taking these actions because that's a part of the communication that we're talking about so so much a part of the the communication crisis i'm seeing is that it can serve to stop people in their tracks the cognitive fatigue can be so overwhelming that people do nothing and the way you kickstart that is by starting to do something positive that gets you aligned in the right direction yeah exactly exactly baby so, baby steps baby steps and if some of you are baby stepping already start trotting or jogging <laughs> or taking bigger steps. So 2024, here we are at the time of this recording. It's a critical year. There's much at stake. I talked to a lot of folks who express existential dread and reaching for hope in spite of that and activating hope in spite of that. There's a lot on the line for our country and our planet. And I'm wondering, who do you, who do you think we should be communicating with the most this year <laughs> out well, of the world. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, again, thinking in a strategic way, we've got some elections coming up and that's going to shape the way, you know, climate is going to be addressed in the United States, which is one of the most, you know, influential players in this whole, whole game. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. if I would say that, we need to look at our leaders in all across the board and decide our, if, if they are not believing in climate change, if they're doubting it, if they're hindrances, hindering it, 
is is this is this indicative of what they what they believe on other things right mm. so if they can't see to it to protect the citizens and the planet and everybody's livelihood because you know what it is a social justice issue you know mm-hmm. these wealthy politicians who can afford the best healthcare who can afford to get the bottled water and live in places that aren't climate catastrophes and, and and pay for the insurance for where they live, replace the things that they lose in floods or fires or God knows what else. You know, we need to, to look at those people and we need not to we need to stop supporting them. You know, we need to look at alternatives and maybe the alternative isn't perfect. Right. Um, maybe you don't agree with everything the alternative has. But, you know, we need to start seeing, you know, people who are anti-climate, you know, action as people who are who are willing to sell out the, the human race. And if they're willing to do that, what are their other policies they're willing to sell us out on and con us on? And um, and we should be voting and, and using our influence for voting that way, because. Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's beautifully stated. That's a really strong statement. So what I'm getting is uh, climate is a key indicator topic. And how what their position is on that is a key indicator about, I love what you say, are they willing to sell out on other things that are vital to our existence, our sustainability, our, to every other social justice thing we care about? Mm-hmm. And its values and if they don't have if, if that's not in their picture then it's very hard for me to see you know h- how um, that fits into into others into the into people into people's other other sites you know on policies yeah and i i also want to respect what you mentioned about things may not be perfect because as we stand today in the united states in 2024 a lot of people are feeling disaffected or dissatisfied with the choice that's before them this year Mm -hmm. in a presidential election year about which party and they might be inclined not to vote and i'm always telling everybody oh that's that is a communication issue right there if you don't vote you're communicating something important and this year what it what it means not to vote is you're saying i'm not participating in these enormous decisions that are going to be getting made going forward. And so I encourage everybody, please, to vote, vote, vote. Throw your voice out there. Use your voice. Um, any and any last thought? I'm sorry. Say, and a perfect, great communication strategy that the bad guys use is to make it seem like there's not a good choice, so don't vote. That's exactly yeah. what they that's exactly what they want is you not to vote or you to question what is it is a pretty obvious choice, right? It, mm, it comes mm-hmm. down to that that gaslighting that we talked about. Mm. Um, so I've been in situations where, you know, even with people who believe in climate, they looked at two candidates and they're like, well, I don't really know. The candidate I really wanted it is not in the race anymore. I don't really know who to vote for. It. I'm like, how could you make that short? That's if you like, if you are pro change and protecting the environment and and doing something for climate it's an absolute obvious choice yeah your perfect your your preferred candidate isn't in it but there's someone who's going to do something about it as opposed to someone who's going to tr- do the worst to it right so we mm-hmm. need to be aware of those false choices that mm-hmm. that are out there you know Mm-hmm. And there are organizations out there that help people on the local state and federal level to know how to be a savvy climate voter 
Um, so it, if, if you're looking for something to do, look up those organizations and figure out League of Conservation Voters. I mean, they have all kinds of guidance about how people are um, sitting on the issue of climate and what they intend to do about it. Any any other last thoughts about climate, strategic climate communication that you want to share? Well, I think there's hope out there. And I think the work that I am fortunate to do, especially with kids and even adults, and even some of these projects that you might be surprised, um, there are a lot of people working hard on this thing. And we have some bottlenecks that are at, you know, the higher levels. And so if we can, un if we can fix those bottlenecks that are happening, you know, at some of these higher governmental levels, we can solve the problem. We have the, we have the tools, we have the people to do it. We just got to fix some of this, this, this political nonsense. Dan, always great to talk to you. I, I get encouragement and hope from you. So thank you for all the good you do and keep up the good work. Again, folks listening, that's www.danlenehan.com, D-A-N-L-I-N-E-H-A-N.com. Check it out. Check it out. And that concludes this episode of Blue Marble Podcast. Thank you so much again, Dan, for sharing your story, these great resources, and thanks to our audience for tuning in. So, folks, if you value what you learned here today, please share this information with others. Do that communication strategic move of forwarding this to folks you know and to your networks. And you can also find recordings of these programs available for listening and download by going to the Circle Sanctuary website at circlesanctuary.org. You just look under the Our Work tab. You'll find all Blue Marble podcasts under Circle Sanctuary Network podcasts with links to current and past podcasts. So check out the Circle Green link as well for more resources. Until next time, this is Char Bear signing off. Thank you for all the good you do. Stay true and blue and hey, I hope to see you in the green space. <laughs>